Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. I hope everybody had a good weekend this past weekend. Mm-hmm. We had a pretty decent weekend, I think. Yeah, I think we did. Yes. I mean, we. I had a great show on Friday at Lux. Yeah, it was a really packed show. Yeah, really packed. Yeah, it was interesting, though. So, like, Colin's show was at Lux in downtown Rochester, and... and the address is 666 South Avenue. Yeah, so they <laughs> held their show there, and it was just you and one other band, right? It was us and Buzz Myers, and a big shout-out to those guys, because they did really good. Yeah, so Carolyn, my friend Carolyn and I were sitting in the front kind of like near the door because the stage of where you guys were playing was right next to the front door where people were coming in and out Mm -hmm. and we kept watching people like keep trying to come in and some of them were getting turned away whether it was because they didn't want to pay the cover charge to get in or because they probably were like underage and couldn't get in Uh, probably just like bar crawlers or whatever that's what i was thinking because it seemed like a lot of them were really dressed up like they were going out clubbing or yeah, well, the Lux is definitely not clubbing, that's for sure. Yeah, but it's become, like, the new alternative bar. Rochester doesn't really have a whole lot of, like, gay bars. We used to have Tilt, that became RAR. And then we used to have 140 Alex Bar and Grill, but that closed during the, the pandemic. It really did, right? Yeah, yeah and th- there really hasn't really been a whole lot of other, like, mm. gay or alternative bars. Well, looks Lux like- is a very, like, mm. highly acceptable bar for most demographics, you know, for, like, the alternative, the indie, the, you know, LGBTQIA. And it's just for this. everyone underneath, yeah. the, underneath the moon. You right. Know? It's for everybody, you know, like, and that's what I like about Lux. I yeah. mean... I would like it even more if your friend, my favorite bartender, was there. Yeah. He made the most. He made the most amazing drinks I've ever tasted, and he called it the pineapple turno- turnover drink. Yep. I love those things. They're so sweet, and I pound them down so quickly, I get like a faster buzz that way. But he stopped working there years ago, and now I don't get my favorite drinks there anymore. Yeah, I get my okay. second go-to drink, which is a cran vodka. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Aside from the show we went to on Friday, the following day was a Saturday, and we went to the Brockport Art Festival with my mom, my sister, and my brother-in-law, yes. which is a good time. Basically went with the whole fam. Yeah, so. it was really great. Like They had a lot of good vendors there, a lot of people with their dogs, a lot of shops that were on like the Main Street part of Brockport. Brockport has always been sort of like a college town, and Main Street is just this big... I would I would like to say it's more of like the heart of Brockport because it's where all of like the shops, restaurants, and like eateries are. It's got a theater down there too with a bunch of other stuff, and it's like really fun. And yeah, we went there and had a good time. And then later that night, we met up again with my sister and brother-in-law, and we went to see Nope for the first time, mm-hmm. which I was very excited to see because after we saw Black Phone a couple weeks ago. I really wanted to check out Nope, which was the new horror movie of the summer. Mm-hmm. What is going on down there? Fucking A with the toys. It's anyway. okay. Go on. Anyway. Yeah. Um, Focus. <laughs> so, what did you think overall about Nope? Oh, I thought you were going to say, what do you think overall of our day on Saturday? I was like, best day ever. It was a good day. It was it a was good day. It was very tiring of that day. because it was. Out it's like there. Ice Cube today was a good day. That's what it felt like that weekend. I think before we go into the movie, though, let's do what we did last time when we saw Black Foam. Let's talk about the previews we saw first, and then we'll ease our way into the movie. Well, basically, we're almost the same previews as the last one. Almost. Yeah, I mean, you had Beasts and Goodbye Baby, or what's it called? Goodbye, No Darling? or hi. Don't Worry Darling. Oh, okay. oh my God. Goodbye, goodbye Darling. <laughs> goodbye, Baby. Or... What the fuck? Like, don't do that, Darling. <laughs> no, what we did, we, we did watch the trailer again for beast and don't worry darling mm-hmm. there i think the past two, two times we've been to the movie theater mm. we did see another trailer for a movie called oppenheimer did you remember that one yeah i remember oppenheimer but there's a movie that i was actually kind of intrigued to watch what smile smile what one's that smile was the one with the patience they like oh yeah yeah were they that smiling one, really bright yeah, yeah that one that was freaky. freaked freaky freaked me the fuck out because it reminded yeah. me of my dreams because i had dreams like that where people were like like that smiling yeah i've had dreams like those those are horrifying yeah and i like so, this and i like what they showed what the creature looked like as a picture the creature what? the creature was a guy who was not really a guy it was like a creature with a suit on and didn't really have a face except for a smile okay it was 
freaking horrifying. I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this while I'm at home or some shit. Because right. the other night, when we were after getting done with Nope, literally woke up in the middle of the night with a fucking movie that scared the shit out of me. And I'm like, like, ah. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the details about what we did after Nope. I'm just going to say that we... We watched Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yeah, we, we, part, <laughs> we partook in some schmettables and then watched Killer... <laughs> Actually, we didn't even watch. We fell asleep to Killer Clowns from Outer Space. What are you, and then Argyle? You... Be like a schmackin? Anyway, so that's what happened on our Saturday night. But earlier that evening, we did go to see Nope. And I can't remember if there were any other trailers we saw. Mm. I know we did see the the trailer for Halloween Ends, which my sister was, like, not all that impressed with. No, I can tell. So, we... Because here's the thing. I don't know if you guys remember from, like, months ago. But I attended the Halloween Kills movie as, like, my bachelorette party with my sister and a couple of friends. And we, I thought we had a good time. Mm-hmm. Some people had mixed reviews about the Halloween Kills movie, which I promise we'll get to eventually in the show. Yeah. Maybe by, like, Halloween of this year. But that is, like, you know, it was. I thought it was a pretty decent movie for what it was, but I do want to go see Halloween Ends just to see if it's actually going to end. I was going to say, what? too, isn't it crazy that two months from now it's going to be Halloween? I know. We're already in August, and I do want to I do want to get a little bit off tangent for a minute. That freaks me out. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. We, we're now in August. It's currently, like, the week of August 14th. <sighs> So, um, at this point in time, I'm sure a lot of people have gone out to shops and places where they've already put up, like, Halloween decorations for sale. Like, we went to Michael's last week, and mm-hmm. we checked out their Halloween stuff, and some of it was pretty freaking cool. Yeah. Their theme this year is dark romance, which I'm very excited for. And, you know what? I am so sick of hearing every time, every, every year around this time of year, there's always these fuckers who like to go on social media and bitch, it's too early for fall decorations. Bitch, no. Let's let's stop that right there. First of all, Halloween is not just a seasonal holiday. For most people, the aesthetic that comes with Halloween decor can be applied to an all-year thing. It's not just fall. It's not just Halloween. Like, we have friends who decorate their houses in a very macabre fashion. Well, it's so funny because people ask me, they're like, when do you start decorating for, uh, decorating your house? I'm like, for Halloween. I'm like, January? <laughs> like, bitch, I never took my decorations down. Yeah, we down. never took it down, yeah. Yeah, like, we never, oh my god, you remember when we lived in Cedar Commons and we had that one fucking Christmas tree that was up <laughs> for, like, two years straight? Was it really two years yeah, straight? Yeah, because oh, you sorry. never took it down. You're like, I don't know how to take it. Colin, it was lo- literally two feet tall. All you had to do was just unplug it, flip it upside down, tape down the freaking branches to, together. I knew how to do it. I just used it as an excuse for not wanting to do it. That I, makes you very lazy. You know what that is called, actually? Procrastination. Weaponized incompetence. Pretending not to know how to do something just so that the other person will do it for you. Well, I wasn't really having anyone do it for me. I just Yeah, but you were just saying that as an excuse to not do it. Yeah. Which but is funny. I, but I which do is know. funny because every but I do know how to do it, so. every time you took a picture in our living room and posted on social media, everybody's like, Is that your Christmas tree? And you're like, Yeah. You're like, dude, it's July, so... Well, it's Christmas in July, stupid. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that's that sort of thing was like... That kind of thing was annoying for me. Mm-hmm. But like that, you know, you and me and some people that we know kind of... You know, we, we collect Halloween decorations as an all-year sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like, I've got stuff in our bathroom that's considered, like, decorations that... Go with the theme of our lifestyle, which is dark, spooky, macabre skeletons. We're just like we're just fucking weird. That's the problem. Right? Like I've got I've got little like skulls all over the house. Oh yeah. Our apartment. Well, in my office, I got everything decorated in there so far, and I just brought the little doll that I got from um, the Brockport Art Festival. Brockport yeah. Art Festival, and I put it on my desk. And so, well, I've only had a few patients today, but they told me to go to the other office because someone wasn't there that day, so they said I can do that so I can get closer to people. Okay. To go to that office. 
But I think tomorrow we'll be back to normal so everyone can see the horrendous little doll that I got. Right. I can't wait. I named her Emily, so. Like my sister. Anyway. <laughs> so, let um, us, so let us um, talk about Nope. Yeah, we'll get into the movie Nope. Uh, it was released July 22nd of this year, 2022. Surprisingly enough, one of the things I looked up on our fun facts... On July 22nd, 2021, Jordan Peele released an image on Instagram for his movie with the title Nope. Exactly one year later, the film would be released on July 22nd, 2022, as I mentioned before. It was written, directed, and produced by Jordan Peele, and also in production was The Monkey Paw, and distributed by Universal Pictures. And it's really cool that they... um, distribute it because recently especially in the recent months uh they added new they they added a new attraction to the universal pictures theme park and one of the attractions is called jupiter's claim and it is exact like replica of the actual theme park from the movie nope the movie stars kiki palmer daniel kaluuya steven yoon i believe that's how you pronounce his last name i'm not sure and i apologize if i do uh Brandon Perea, Michael Wincott, and Keith David. Who, you remember Keith David Collin from other horror movies. Oh, he's a legend. Can you list them all for me, please? Um, they Live, The Thing, um, Tales from the Hood, Part 2. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else? He's in a lot of movies, that's for sure. Um, yeah. He even played a bad guy in... Uh, uh, Princess and the uh, Frog. He was a voodoo doctor. Oh yeah, uh, Doctor Facilier. Yeah, you got he, it. Yeah, he played the voodoo doctor uh, in that movie. So the synopsis goes: Two siblings running a horse ranch in California discover something wonderful and sinister in the skies above, while the owner of a adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomenon. Which is such a weird way of looking at trying to make money. Yeah, and I do want to point out something very interesting, and I'm probably going to, like, butcher some of the pronunciations of these words, and I apologize if I do. Um, But in the beginning of the movie, there is a certain um, biblical phrase that's quoted in the beginning. And it's from the book of Nahum. I don't know, again, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, in the Bible's Old Testament, and in it, the prophet Nahum tells the story of the city of Nineveh. I, again, don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, and how it was marked for destruction by God in 40 days because of the wickedness of its people. God promised to, quote, make spectacles of them just as they made spectacles of their own sin until Jonah convinces them to repent. Um, in the movie Nope, as described by the cast and crew, draws many parallels from this verse and story, especially in the way it handles its own theme of spectacles, the length people will go to hoping to take advantage of it, and the consequences thereof. Uh, the treatment of Gordy, which we'll talk a little bit more about, and his eventual rampage, uh, Ricky Juniper, Jupiter, I believe is his name also, Ricky's attempt to create a bond with the alien with no regard for its malevolent nature, and the deaths of the cameraman and antlers host holst even as uh, richard newby of the hollywood reporter points out the curiosity of real life moviegoers and their inability to turn away from the screen are all being cited as prime examples of how these themes are revealed throughout the film uh, to a frightening effect and i pulled this tidbit specifically from the imdb page under the trivia and um, factuals so I thought that was pretty interesting, and it seems to me like a lot of people got like picked up on the theme as the movie was going on. But the general theme I feel like was the, you know, instability of nature, and you know when people try to either reason or bond or tame it, it doesn't always go the way that people expect it to go. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. How did you feel about the movie itself? The movie itself. Um, even though there was little parts here and there that I kind of gnawed off a little bit because I was a little tired, but here's the th- here's the thing yeah. though. So I did find it very interesting, especially the lot of parts of how they were discovering it and just like things that 
even the guy that they were working with who worked at like some radio shack looking place yeah the literally believed what they were saying and they didn't even say much yeah brendan Korea uh, plays Angel Torres. He's the... Uh, Which I love his character. He plays an employee at a company. I don't want to say it's like a geek squad, but it's called Fry's Electronics. <laughs> and despite it being featured prominently, Fry's Electric actually closed all of its locations on February 24th of 2021. Yeah. Prior to the film's production. And because it was shot in Burbank, uh, California... Uh, they recreated like the interior of the store of one of their locations. Which is so funny that this place closed down and then before they... before production. Yeah, and going kind of makes sense. Going back to the whole spectacle thing, I thought I found this little factual to be pretty interesting. So when Ricky, played by Stephen Yoon, states in that quote, this is the quote: "In one hour, you will leave here having witnessed a spectacle." End quote. There is exactly one hour until the film's end credits from that point onto the movie. Really? Yeah. That's smart. That is very creative. I yeah. like that. Well, that's the thing I like about Jordan Peele. Even though he's a comedian and stuff, and he's done acting, and he's made his own show with his uh, partner, uh, uh, Key. Which, uh, you know, Keegan-Michael Key, Michael Key yeah. yeah. Yeah, with Key and Peele and stuff, but... It really comes to show that he can be this creative, too, especially yeah. on the outside the realms of comedy. Yeah, and I thought this movie, it's definitely a lot different than his other two films. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's still horror, don't get me wrong. It's still a but, horror film. But they were, but, like, but they were talking about different themes and different, like, yeah, things like, that went on in our society. Yeah, because I feel like his first two fell under the more psychological thriller aspect, as we mentioned in and, our And kind of look at the racial profiling, especially in the first one. Yeah, and then in Nope, this is more about sci-fi horror and showing how, you know, again, the theme is that nature can be, what was I just saying, unstable mm-hmm. or unstable, unstable. you know, you, you, you have these people in the entertainment industry that work with animals, exotic animals that are not meant to be exotic pets to people and i think the the gordy incident in the movie is the prime example of what happens when people try to work or coexist with animals that are just not meant to coexist mm-hmm. with humans even when you have like animal trainers and zoologists and people who cl- closely work with these specific type of species of animals they're first and foremost wild animals. Yeah. And they they are genetically I don't want to say programmed, but they're genetically designed to fit more comfortably and compatibly in a different environment from ours. Mm-hmm. Which is why when we see incidences like Gordy's home or go the, the Gordy show incident. Again, you're taking something that is a wild animal from nature and you're forcing it to interact with people in a more concrete so- setting. It's not something that it's used to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there is an actual real-life example of this, which is the Travis Chimp ep- uh, incident. You remember him? Mm-hmm. So I found through TikTok, there's a TikTok content creator whose name I'm going to tag in probably the show notes. Um, he pointed out a very good uh, comparison between the Gordy show and the Travis the Chimp incident. So Travis was a chimpanzee who was bought by and raised by an elderly couple who really didn't give it the best care that he needed in order to thrive. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, they kind of have a very weird relationship with it. They allowed Travis to do a bunch of things that were, for animal standards, probably not healthy. He was taking Xanax, drinking a wine, eating junk food. Oh, yeah, he and, was trying to do all the things a human does. Yeah, but he also became a social or local celebrity and having, like, you know, they built a lot of, like, social relationships with people, including the police force of their home or of their town, which is not good because Travis being a not very well-trained animal who was just, you know, encouraged to do whatever he wanted to do by his owners would go on to do some very questionable things that got him in trouble, but 
because of his connections with the police force, nothing was ever really looked further into it. And it wasn't until this one particular incident where uh, the friend of the couple uh, was trying to help, I believe the wife, trying to help her contain Travis into the home. She grabbed his doll, and I guess he something in him snapped, and he mauled her. Thankfully she lived, but her face, her face was severely mangled in the process of this attack. Mm. And she, you know, continues to this day to hold interviews, and you can see, like, in some videos of these interviews, she wears, like, a veil, which is similar to another character in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember the name. I'm sorry if I blank on the name. But it's essentially Ricky's co-host from The Gordy Show. It's like her, his TV crush? He said she was his first crush, which... Oh. I have to keep in mind about this. He was a preteen, like a little kid, when he was on the the Gordy show, and she mm-hmm. was like in her mid-teens. Because he was in a show before that called Kid Sheriffs. Are you talking about like the actual actor, or are you talking about the kid the in ki- the movie? In the movie, the guy in the movie, he played a child actor. He was in Kid Sheriffs, and then he did this Gordy show. Yeah, so he's been doing this child mm-hmm. acting thing for a while, but he is the he is well. I shouldn't say he's the only survivor. There are two survivors. And him and his uh, female co-star, the teenage girl in the show, were the two who have survived the Gordy incident. But there is one little Gordy piece of information I do want to explain before I jump into the next part of the movie segment. So I think the thing about the Gordy incident that is not only relative to the main plot itself, but is the driving force that drives Ju- Jupiter or Ricky, whatever his name is in the movie, what drives him to do what he does. And he he seems like to be thriving in this whole Hollywood trauma escapade. And, you know, he's got like, when you, when you walk into his office, he's got like this entire office that's dedicated to the first show that Colin had mentioned that he was in. Because, I mean, his whole theme park is western theme, and the first show he was ever in was a western show. But the Gordy incident really had an effect on him, and I don't think it just means in, like, a traumatizing negative way. I think it's the fact that the fact that he's got to hide this away from the general public, you know, like, people who come into his office... He uses this as a tactic to try to get more people interested in, you know, his story. And, you know, like, one of the things he even likes to point out in his, like, little Gordy secret room in his office is the first fist bump he claims uh, that he's done with Gordy. And and you see it in the clips. These Gordy clips are not all in one shot. They're, they're spontaneous throughout the movie. They're like little flashbacks that Ricky has about this incident. And one of the particular scenes I think is important to Ricky is the fact that, you know, when, when this all happens, it's during an episode he claims in the second season's running, an episode titled Gordy's Birthday. And in the episode, and at least from the scenes that we see in this movie, um... It was in front of a live studio audience. The family is celebrating Gordy's birthday. And the teenage daughter comes out with this big box. And she opens it up and all these balloons come flying up. Right? And they're all happy and laughing and clapping. And then suddenly you hear a pop. And that's when shit starts to hit the fan. Now we don't actually see a lot of the carnage. But we do see some clips here and there. We see that... Gordy does pummel the mom in the show to death and then he corners the dad in the kitchenette part of the set and beats him to death and all the while Ricky is hiding underneath a coffee table or a kitchen table or dining whatever table he's hiding underneath the table he's watching all this unfold and eventually Gordy does see him and he does go over to him and he tries to do the fist bump thing with Ricky because he recognizes this is Ricky. He doesn't mean any harm to me. Tries to do the fist bump thing and then gets shot in the head and killed, which is a, a, a sad thing to happen. But one of the interesting things I found out about this is that 
obviously when you watch that particular scene, it's a motion captured uh, ape or chimpanzee. It's not an actual chimpanzee. It's a person in a suit uh, in a green screen room acting out the motions of Gordy. So something about this incident drives Ricky to do what he does. He believes that if he can form a bond connection with an animal or a predator, predatory type animal, then he could tame it and break it into becoming like the next attraction that, you know, the best thing he can do for his business. Doesn't always go out the way it works when these things kind of happen, obviously. Like, Siegfried and Roy is one that not only is highly thought of when we think of exotic animals in the en entertainment industry, but it's actually one that is referenced in the movie Nope. When uh, OJ, the main character, Daniel Kalu Kaluuya, his character, he mentions that, you know, this, this ship, which we find out later on is not actually a ship, it's the monster itself. So the ship is actually really a monster, yeah. Yeah. But going back a little bit, what did you think of the whole Gordy thing? The Gordy thing kind of messed me up because I feel like that would be kind of like a true real-life sitcom situation. Like, well, it, especially with, No, I know, especially yeah. with animals and how you train them and stuff, and just you got to be careful with them because you know they can snap at any time. Exactly. That's one of the biggest risks, I feel like, in the entertainment industry. When you work with animals it's a huge risk that's why like i think a lot of, i think the, the biggest thing in this movie is that you have the haywood siblings you have ricky you have you know these people who have worked in the entertainment industry around animals they should know or do know the risks that come with working with animals it's never a predictable situation and i think that shows not only in the gordy scenes but even in the beginning which I'm going to go, this is going to ease my way into the next part, which is the movie itself. Because I wanted to talk about Gordy first, so that way we don't keep hopping back and forth. Because the Gordy part of the movie is a pretty relative part to the whole story itself. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard me in the other room, but I was explaining how Rick, the Gordy incident is what I believe is the driving force for Jupiter to do what he does later on in the film. He believes that if he appeals to the better nature of this predatory being, then he can communicate and train with it and work with it to be able to mark it off of it. And that's what he's trying to do with the aliens, then. Which is the creature that I'm mentioning. So yeah. mm -hmm. I'm going to backtrack a bit to the beginning. So after the first Gordy scene that opens up in the movie, you, you know, jump cut to OJ and his father, Otis, senior and you know they're out in the ranch they're out in the fields uh i believe oj's helping getting the the trotting cart well i don't even know if it's called a trotting cart but there's this mechanism that horse trainers or ho horse on bleh, sorry can't talk today horse trainers or horse owners use to help kind of get them to move around if they can't be like out in like the pastures or whatever but it's like this rig you hook him up to it, and it allows him to walk in, like, a circle kind mm -hmm. of thing. So he sets this up, and his grandfather, or not grandfather, I'm sorry, his father, who Keith David plays, Otis Sr., is in the pen with one of their horses. It's a white horse named Ghost, I believe. And, you know, he's talking to him, they're having a conversation, and OJ goes to, you know, head for the house, and suddenly they start hearing these things like falling from the sky at a very high velocity. Like it's not just dropping, it's dropping at an accelerated rate. Which Especially is, things that are sharp like keys and yeah, stuff. Yeah, which is going to come up later when we get into how this thing works. So they're not quite sure what it is, but something hits his dad. Really hard. Dad, very between hard. Between his eye and stuff. Yeah. It actually went into his head, if you couldn't tell from the x-ray pictures that they showed. Yeah. It actually was, like, in his eye. Ugh. So, uh, it w I believe it was a nickel, right? A nickel that had hit him. Really? Yeah, because they keep showing it throughout the movie. It's uh. I believe it's a nickel. And it had fallen from the sky, hit him, and got lodged in his eyeball. 
And there's something that I noticed interesting throughout this movie. So clearly, because it's it's, I sh- I'm sure we can talk about it at this point. It's an alien invasion type of film, and I actually have something here that says. Jordan Peele cites movies like the King Kong and Jurassic Park monster films in the sci-fi film Close Encounters of the Third Kind, released in 1977, and Signs, which was released in 2002, and the fantasy film Wizard of Oz, 1939, as an influence on this film, and he considers these to be examples of addiction to spectacle, which is a major theme throughout the movie. Which I could tell with the tornado thing was definitely yes. like the Wizard of Oz inspiration. Yes. So we'll talk a little bit more about that when we get into the creature of the movie. So, um, and one thing I noticed about this, so when things like this happen, you know, it, it's an emergent issue. You need to address it right away. You're not going to have time for like cleanup or whatever. So after his father gets hit, you jump cut to him in the car with his father slumped over and he's like bleeding all over himself. He's bleeding on the door. He's Mm -hmm. bleeding on the seat. And, you know, to show him in the hospital, his father has died from this injury. Then later on, when after the safety uh, meeting on the set that they were at, so it's... About six months after his pa- after their father's passing, OJ and Emerald are at a shoot for a commercial. The, these production companies hired them specifically to bring one of their trained horses in to be a part of the commercial. After the commercial, or after you know their session, they get in the car and they're driving back home. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but when Emerald's sitting in the passenger seat and the camera's... Po- you, I, you know, I said what I said, Colin. Don't look at me like that. She's sitting in the passenger seat, and the camera's pointed at her from OJ's perspective, and you can see past her leg. Like, her leg is trying to cover up the blood stains from their father's injuries that are on the door of the car. Oh. I noticed that, and I was like, holy shit. Because there's certain, there's certain substances that are like, like anything like blood, wine, cranberry juice, anything that's very red, very saturated in color is very hard to get out of any sort of material, whether it's fabric, leather, any sort of material. So I would imagine something like that would be hard to get out of, especially in like the upholstery of a car Mm -hmm. vehicle or whatever. And same same thing goes for later on in the movie when the creature or the, the spaceship is over the house, remember? And it's during that storm scene and the spaceship just unloads all that stuff onto the house and you even see like the blood dripping down from the house from the ship yeah that that stains mm. on the mm. whole fucking house which is eerie as fuck even when they're trying to like go about their plan to capture it on film and tame it themselves it's a weird ominous reminder that this thing is deadly. Is is deadly. Yeah. It and it killed, killed their dad. It killed their dad. It's very <clears throat> deadly. It it sucks up like a group of forty people at one point in the movie, and yeah. So I think that's a, that's an interesting like ominous part of like the movie that kind of stuck stuck with me as I was watching this. So you know, they they go to ricky's office at jupiter claims and it's like i mentioned it's a theme park that's based off of the first show that he worked on that you mentioned earlier right yeah kid chefs yes so he kind of builds this theme park based on that show and i mentioned earlier he's got that little secret gordy tribute room that he's eerily proud of and another interesting thing i didn't even notice this but somebody pointed it out Ricky has a pair of giant scissors on his desk, mm-hmm. and apparently that was supposed to be a little nod to the movie Us, which was Jordan Peele's second film. Oh, shit, yeah. How would you rank his films from best to worst? Well, I've never seen Us, so... Neither have I. So far, I would say that Get Out is number get, one. Get Out, Get Out. I feel like on anyone's list, Get Out would be number one. Yeah, that was like his magnum opus. Well, that was his first horror movie. Yes. And like his first horror movie that was actually super successful. Yes. So literally, if you could really like, you could say, oh, Us was great. That was the best one. Or Nope is like better than all of them, even though it just came out. No, everyone's going to say that Get Out was 
his best movie because it was his first horror movie and his first horror movie to do really good out of all the other movies that were coming out. Mm -hmm. And for doing something different at the time, especially when Jordan Peele, everyone thought he was just this comedian that could really not make a horror movie, but he could. There's a couple of things I wanted to point out from that first scene. Well, I don't want to say the first scene because the first scene that we see in this movie is the Gordy flashback, then cut to OJ and his father uh, getting rained on by metal. I know. Did we and just talk about this? Yeah, but another part of the scene I wanted to talk about, which I'm not sure if you were aware of, but it's the scene that we mentioned at the commercial site. So, like I mentioned, they, they get hired to do this commercial with one of their horses named Lucky. And there are some people on the set, like Antlers Holst, who's played by Michael Wincott. And there's another person on site. Um, I'm just going to read this little tidbit because you're going to be interested to hear this, babe. Um, One character calls OJ and Emerald movie royalty because of their family's long involvement with training horses for movie shoots. The actor who plays Finn Bachman... Oz Perkins is himself movie royalty. Can you guess who his father is? Without What's the name? What's the name? His name is Oz Perkins. Oh, I don't know. His father was Anthony Perkins, who played Norman Bates in the original Psycho oh, movie. Oh, shit. Wait a minute. So the guy that was wearing that black outfit, like the glasses and yep. stuff like that, that's his dad? Yes, it is. What the fuck? I, yes, you know what's is. funny? I kind of see that guy, and he kind of looked familiar, and I was looking at him. I'm like, why mm-hmm. does he look like someone I know? And literally, it's Anthony Perkins' dad, so, uh, son. Oz Perkins was actually named after his grandfather, Osgood Perkins, who was a successful stage and early screen actor from the 1920s. Can you not poke me in my boob? I felt that when I'm reading off my laptop and all of a sudden I felt a pull like you are a dick you know that I'm I'm not going to crop that out either anyway, <laughs> right. um, that's actually comedy gold I love that his mother was also Barry Berenson so wait so wait which actor from the 1920s you were talking about no his grandfather was Osgood Perkins he was uh. a he, his film career stretched from the silent era up until his death in the late teen, late 1930s really yeah oh wow so I thought I thought that was interesting and then his mother and her sister were also actresses as well and man that Perkins family huh yeah and then like I mentioned the Haywood siblings are considered movie royalty because if you remember from the trailers, um, Emerald Kiki Palmer's character makes this big speech about their grandfather, or I should say great, 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 I think fourth great grandfather. Oh? Yep. Let me see. I thought it was his two great, great. Oh, yep. wait, and great. Yep. It was the third grandfather. Yep. Yeah, because I remember she said my great, great grandfather, and he said in the back, great. <laughs> oh, that's fourth grade. Oh, <laughs> yep. uh, where is it? Oh, fuck. So anyway, I can't find the little. Yeah, info. just go for it. Yeah. So, their great 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 grandfather was the horse jockey riding on the back of the horse in one of the first ever recorded images of motion picture. And this was like back in what the eighteen hundreds? Yes. Oh, okay. Very very long time ago. So I thought that was interesting. And that's, again, sort of the thing that kind of, like, connects them to the movie industry. And it's what helps them get, you know, paid enough to be able to pay for the ranch and be able to train their horses and be able to buy and sell horses. But because of ever since their father's death and the lack of business that they've been getting with their horses, uh, I believe OJ has resorted to selling some of those horses to Ricky and his theme park. Which is where we kind of see... So what, to get, get a little extra cash or something? Yeah. I mean, he sells them with the intention of buying them back. But still, when the business of, you know, training animals and using them for entertainment purposes becomes, you know, pretty low needed, um, then yeah, it kind of hurts their business primarily. Uh, let me see. What else can we talk about with this movie? Do you have any thoughts? Um. Well, 
I don't know. You've been mostly doing a lot of the talking for it. So I know. I want to get you more involved. Well, I appreciate <laughs> it, but I think everyone understands it pretty much for the most part and that you're explaining it the right way. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean... I've heard a lot of yeah. mixed reviews about this movie before we watched it. Some people said it was really good. Some people said it wasn't that great. And when we watched it with Emily and Brian, I asked them at the end of the, of the movie, I was like, what are you guys' thoughts about it? And, you know, they said it was good up until the final act. Like, they thought it was a bit confusing afterwards. And, you know, some parts kind of got lost a lot along the way. Which, I will admit, yeah, that can be a bit confusing. But at the same time, I think we learn a lot about this thing in the last, like, you know, 45 minutes of it. Because from what we learn through about this creature throughout the movie is, you know, it looks like a spaceship. It looks like a flying saucer. But so, it's not. Yeah. Well, yeah, because our mind is trained to label it that way as, as part of symbolism. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You see a flying saucer, you think it's a UFO, you think it's a spaceship. It's ho- like harboring a group of you know alien creatures on board. And it's sucking people up into it and with no possible chance of them bringing them back. So... Not knowing anything about this makes it very, very uh, scary. Mm-hmm. I, I like I, as someone like myself who's not a big fan of horror sci-fi and having an intense I love having an intense fear of the unknown. It's like the same way that I feel when I watch underwater like sea movies. Mm-hmm. Which, I by have the that way. I have that fear. What's <laughs> it called where you can't look at images of like submerged. Oh, it's like giant creatures coming out of the water? No, there's a fear that people have where they can't look at images of anything submerged in like deep bodies of water. Oh, I don't know. Something about that just like makes me very ill. Water phobia? Not water phobia. It's something. I can't Um, remember what the word is called. Wait, wait. So, here's the thing that they should do. What? So, because I've always talked about this. They should come out with a Cthulhu movie. No, thank you. If Jordan Peele could make a Cthulhu movie, that would be amazing. No, thank you. So, if Jordan Peele, if you hear me out there, please make a Cthulhu movie. No, thank you. Please. Although I will say that... They're going to make a Cthulhu movie. A quote from Jordan Peele when he wrote the script, he said, quote, At a time when we were a little bit worried about the future of cinema, so the first thing I knew is I wanted to create a spectacle. I wanted to create something that the audience would have to come see. Which I think was a really good idea, because... When we watched the trailer, like, in the first one, you know, and there's another uh, tidbit here about the first initial release of the teaser trailer during the Super Bowl. After the release of the film's trailer and the Super Bowl commercial, viewers began theorizing that the film may involve an alien invasion, believing the title to be an acronym for Not of Planet Earth, despite the plot being still being kept under wraps at the time. Which I will say... Yeah, that's, again, the vibe. And you do, for a split second in the trailer, see the saucer. That's actually pretty smart when they say, yeah, not of people Earth. Not of planet Earth. Not of planet Earth, yeah. Yeah. That is pretty smart. It is smart. But when we see the flying saucer, we immediately think of aliens, which is our initial go-to thought. And like Mm -hmm. I said, when you think of flying saucers, you think of little green men in them. There is no little green men. The fucking ship is the monster. Yeah. Is what it's OJ... one giant E.T. What OJ comes to the realization a little bit, like, halfway into the movie, which I want to point out, too, this movie is kind of broken up into, like, act, like each act is, li- like, named after a certain animal in the movie. So you have Ghost. You have, I think, Clover was the second one. Then you had Lucky, which was the horse that OJ sold to Ricky and then you have Gordy and then you have Jean Jacket which I think is interesting hmm. you know what I mean like each act is broken up into different horse names well not horse names but each animal that's kind of starring in this movie you know like the horses the chimp from yes. the show mm-hmm. the alien itself is a creature and you know, like I said, when OJ comes to the realization that, you know, this is a creature. This this is the... It's not 
the saucer is not a saucer. It's not a ship. It's the actual fucking creature. It is sucking people up into itself, digesting it, and then spitting out what it cannot process, which is like coins, keys, shrapnel. All those stuff that we have in our pockets. Right. Clothing, watches, all jewelry, all that stuff. That is what falls out of the sky, which is what caused his dad to get killed in the beginning. And when we see, you know, it seems like every time it, it attacks OJ and his horses, mm-hmm. you know, the horses are out running loose because they know something is out there trying to get them. Now, what OJ also realizes during the movie is that it will not attack you if you look at it directly, which yeah. is something that he learned from his horse training skills. Even mm-hmm. even in that scene at the commercial site, he tells the person, please don't look him in the eye. It's going to trigger him. It's going to make him go crazy. And then when he holds up that reflective ball and it points the reflective side at the horse and it, you know, fucking kicked that whatever it was on set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was another instance that showed that, you know, sometimes working with animals has risks. And working or trying to appease something that's considered an apex predator, like an alien, mm-hmm. like, you don't know how it's going to react. You don't know anything about it except for, like, you're learning as you're going along. The longer you survive and try to combat this thing, the more you learn about it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what we learn in almost every alien movie. Like, the alien, the predators, the all those movies where you're learning more and more about like certain alien species and Mm -hmm. how they operate so they're learning from this instance is that the flying saucer itself is the creature if you don't look at it it's not going to attack you but if you look at it and it it thinks of you as a threat a potential threat or something to be devoured it will suck you up into itself it will digest you and it will eat you now, another thing I noticed is that when OJ is hiding in certain like structures, like the stable or a shed, or even in his own car or truck, it's not going to suck him up. Like it has the potential to suck a car up into itself, but it can't. Just like with the house. And you know, one of the things that a lot of people said was like, "I don't understand the shape of this thing." Which I also found another interesting thing. But you tell me about what you thought of the creature itself. Like um, how, how it looked and uh, all that. Well, that was the part that confused the hell out of me. Because I remember it was just a spaceship at first. So one of the things, when I was kind of nodding off, I guess I didn't really see the spaceship really turning into the creature itself. So I didn't want to ask you. Because if I did ask you, you'd be like, why the fuck do you not know? Oh, that's right. You were nodding off for a second. And so, literally, I didn't want to be that guy doing that, so I just thought I'd watch the rest of it and be like, why the fuck is this a creature now? Yeah. So, the alien's animal form was inspired by sea creatures, jellyfish, octopods, squid, electric eels, and a knife ghost fish, which... And Cthulhu. Which moves with... That kind of fish moves without fins. Yeah. So, it makes sense when you watch this thing, because one of the things that... My sister and I talked about it after the movie, where she's like, I didn't understand how it, like, unfolded like that. And I'm like, because that's what happens when it can't maintain its natural form. Or, like, when it can't maintain a certain form, it becomes to unravel. And, it, and I think the more I thought about it, the more I understood certain parts of that movie. Like, when, when their plan... Okay, so their plan for this thing is, you know, it's, it's dangerous... But we can't tell people about it because nobody's going to believe us. Nobody's going to believe that there's a spaceship out in the California deserts sucking up our horses and messing with our electricity. Mm-hmm. You know, because that could be chalked up to anything. So they need photographic proof. Now, with modern technology, everything being digitalized and electronic, they can't expect to take videos or pictures when this thing is around because it's going to knock out so those cell services. that's why she did that thing in the end with the, yes. with the well and the pitcher thing. Yes, I'll get to that in a minute. But that's why she also calls Antlers Holst, Michael Wincott's character. He is a documentarian film director. 
he captures a lot of, you know, footage of animals in the wild using all sorts of methods of filmography. Mm-hmm. And when she told him, you know, we have something going on here that is worth a lot. It is something that nobody would expect to believe unless it's on camera. And so it ca- she's like, and it can't be digital because if it's digital, it's not going to work. And if it's digital, it can be proven fake. But if we had it on film, then there's no way to t- tell people that we faked it. So he brings out his film cameras, ones that don't run and operate on electricity. They're hand-cranked. So that works out to their advantage, but unfortunately, their mission to try to tame it and get film footage of it doesn't fully work. So what I think Holst meant to do, so when Holst realizes they can't get the footage that they're looking for, Mm -hmm. he decides to take the camera, start rolling it, walks out into the field and just looks up at it and it sucks him up into the thing and it yeah so now he couldn't get the footage but i think his plan was if i get sucked up into this thing while rolling the camera even if it kills me it's gonna spit out the film which we don't ever really see it do yeah we i don't see it at all yeah so unfortunately that plan didn't work angel however our guy from the electronics store he had a good idea so he realizes that when this thing does suck up certain material that is harmful to itself that it cannot digest meaning like pieces of metal pieces of harsh wood like it sucks up parts of the house and the shed and it damages itself but after it sucks up holst then it you know rejuvenates and it heals itself and it goes back to being the little flying saucer shape that we all see So Angel realizes in that moment, it can't eat anything that's, what is it called? Not not inanimate, but what's it called? I don't know, metal? It can't eat anything non-organic, meaning like Uh. wood, metal. Like, he realizes that he can't, you know, he can survive if he makes himself unable to be digested. So what he does is he wraps himself up in a blue tarp with barbed wire. And even when the thing tries to suck him up into itself, it realizes right away, oh, he's wrapped in barbed wire. We can't eat this. It's going to fucking rip us inside out. So it drops him and he survives. So I think that was an interesting thing that we also learned very quickly throughout the movie. And I think that's why it starts to kind of unravel because now this thing is desperate to get to the others. OJ, Emerald, Angel, you know, try to keep eating other things. So I think that's why it starts to become more and more unraveled. And that's why it starts to look more of like a kite or even like, for instance, a balloon. Now, I say balloon specifically because there's another interesting fact that I read here. Um, at the beginning of the movie, the creature on Jupe's show, the Gordy show, uh, is set off by a balloon popping up on set and at the end of the movie the creature who they deem the name jean jacket uh is blown up by a balloon that looks like jupe mm-hmm. you know what i'm talking about so like you said earlier that's why at the end oj tries to distract the alien monster while emerald runs back on a bike towards the theme park and she has this idea if I can get it back here, I can lure it above the well. Now, there's a well in this theme park that if you put a coin in it and you turn the crank... You take a picture. You take a picture of an upward angle from the well, from the bottom of the well. And it's supposed to be like one of those little like photo booth things that you see at certain theme parks. You put a quarter in, mm-hmm. you crank it, and it takes a picture of you, something like that. Yes. So... She comes up with this really good plan. There's a huge monster balloon of... There's this huge balloon of Jupe's character from the Western show. She releases it up into the air, Mm -hmm. and it lures the alien back over to the theme park. Now, I'm pretty sure because this thing has a face with eyes, when it sees this balloon looking at it, that's when it decides to 
swallow and eat the balloon. Mm-hmm. Which is not a good idea because this thing, being an inanimate object, you can't digest it. And it's filled with helium, which is a chemical mm-hmm. gas. So eating it causes it to blow up. But she takes the picture at the right moment and has it on film. Yeah. So now they're able to prove that their story is real. And this is an interesting part that I wanted to talk about really quick. Because um, there's a couple other influences from this movie that Jordan Peele took inspiration from. And one of them is Jordan Peele specifically chose the cowboy film Buck and the Preacher, which was a 1972 film, to feature prominently in the movie. He says, quote, it was the first film that I know of that had black cowboys represented in it. In it. The myth that cowboys were just white guys running around is just not true, but we don't know that because of Hollywood and the romanticized view of a very brutalized area. The film shares a similar spirit, end quote. What do you think? That seems pretty accurate. Yeah. I mean, because I remember there was Blazing Saddles, and Blazing Saddles really had a, a black sheriff, and that was really not usually talked about. Mm-hmm. So I guess that, that film right there was kind of taking inspiration from that film that was in 72 as well. Right. So it kind of makes sense, you know, because of paradising cowboys and, you know, kind of getting away from the romantic side of it and trying to put a black man as a sheriff. Right. And I think another interesting thing, too, about this uh, creature that we see is, like, how it's able to project sound, too. You notice that? Yeah. Like, when it when it sucks up the horses, you can still hear the horses, like, whinnying. Oh, yeah. Even the people, when they scream, yeah. and scream when they're in the UFO thing. Yeah, that is very scary. That's disturbing. Yeah. And I, again, I will go and watch any horror movie that I find interesting that has a certain appeal to me. And like I mentioned before, I'm not somebody who likes sci-fi horror of any kind, really. Mm-hmm. I have yet to see all the Alien and all the Predator. I actually want to wait until I see all the Predator movies to watch that new Prey movie. I'm that watching came out. But I'm going to see it eventually. It's just, for me, I have this intense fear of not knowing what is happening. And like, like again, there's a huge part of the ocean that has yet to be explored, which is why I don't do oceans or large bodies of water. Oh, you're going there, to one day. No. Yes, no, sir. thank you. Yes, sir. But the same thing goes for space. You know, space, like, we are just, you know, we are just creatures on this planet in a rock called space. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we're all just floating through this world, like, you know, we're, we're floating through this universe that's constantly expanding, that has other galaxies and other planets and other stars and other solar systems, and we don't know anything about all of them like we only know about a certain section of our galaxy which is the milky way and that's it mm-hmm. we don't know what's in other galaxies we don't know what's in other parts of space we don't know how long this is going to like how long the universe is going to go on for and that can be very scary to think about especially if you dwell on it for too long so with me watching this movie i was very on edge very suspensed and you know, constantly stressed out about what was going to happen next because it was like... Yeah, but honey, you don't have to be. I know, but that's what made this a good movie is what I'm saying. Like, it played on a big fear that I have of the unknown. And it made it feel real to you. It felt very real to me because it was like, what the fuck is happening? And like, what the fuck is it going to do next? Because like any any animal, like we keep saying, with any animal, you never know what's going to happen. Like we have two dogs, we never know what's going to happen with them with each passing day. So it's like, that's the that was the whole point of this movie is the instability of nature. And I think that this was a good movie overall. And I do want to go over some of the ratings it got. So on IMDb, it got a seven point four out of ten. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it got an 82. Yeah? What did you think? Of the ratings? Well, the movie overall. Like, if you had to give it I a rating. Already, didn't I already tell you what I thought of the movie? Yeah, but if you had to give it a rating, and why? Well, depending on what the rating is. Is it 1 out of 5? Is it... I, I guess 1 out of 5. Or... Oh, yeah. if, if you had to give it a review like that. 
I give it about three and a half to a four. I give it a four. Yeah. Like a solid four out of five. I like know, almost four. Yeah. Like, again, it had a lot of good things about it that really made it scary. Like, I think nailing down the mystery and the suspense behind a sci-fi horror film, it, he did a good job at that. I, I was, think that there were yeah. certain parts along the way where it got a bit confusing and off track, but again, it's that whole the whole notion of instability in nature. I will you know? say like, I like I the thought, I will say I like the film. It's weird and everything, but I kind of prefer other sci-fi horrors compared yeah. to that one. I do like this one a lot. I mean, again, as far as sci-fi horror goes, I don't watch a whole lot of them, but I did like this one a lot. And I give it, again, a solid four out of five. But I definitely give it, because it, it's a nice, like, western sci-fi. It's like a nice, like, spaghetti western you, sci-fi horror. Did you also see the, did you ever watch the movie Akira? No, I've heard of it, but never seen it. So, there's a movie, 1988 Akira, and I think it's a Japanese, oh yeah, it's an anime. So Yes, which he a, actually took influence Yes, from yeah. so in the final act of the movie, Emerald Haywood performs a sliding stop on a motorcycle that mirrors the iconic slide from Akira. Yeah. Jordan Peele listed Akira as one of his favorite films of all time and was given an offer to direct the live-action version of Akira, but he turned it down. Which, that's crazy. Right? Oh Can God. you imagine being given an opportunity to... He would do it in a heartbeat, too, but I know he had other things going on. He may have had other projects going on, or maybe he didn't want to take it on and then have it, you know, not go as successfully as Yeah, because what original. if he kind of ruins it or something? But, yeah. but a lot of people picked up on that reference at the end, and I thought it was really cool. And but at least he I, brought that into his movie. Yeah, and I, I've seen the interviews of him talking about it, and he was so... You can tell he was excited to capture that shot. And he was like, I want to do this. We're going to do it as many times as possible. And they got it. And he was so happy that they got it. So I, I love that he takes those creative initiatives to say, okay, this is what I want to do. And I want to recreate the shot. If we can recreate it, it's going to be like the highlight of this fucking movie for me. And, it, you know, not to say that those are his exact words, but I can tell just from the interviews that he was very excited about capturing that moment. Yeah. So I think that's very cool, too. And there's nothing wrong with, like, pulling influence from other things. Like I mm-hmm. said... There's a lot of, like, influences for me that remind me of Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Signs and all that. You know, like... Yeah, and you know what? It's the same thing with people in the past. Like, Ray Harryhausen, he took influences from movies he watched as a kid because when he first watched King Kong, that's when he was inspired by that to start doing stop motion. Mm -hmm. And he took that influence and made it into his own movies. Right. And even he references Jaws, too, in this, because he's like, you know, when it it comes to the big reveal of the creature, you know, he's like, it's got to be like Jaws, you know? You can't show it right away. You've got to wait for the build-up, and then at the right moment, reveal the monster. And then that's going to make it even... It's going to make the first half more suspenseful and scary Mm -hmm. of not being able to see what's happening. But then once you see it, and it's there in your face. See, now I want to watch King Kong tonight. That's how I feel. God damn, <laughs> God damn it. But I think, Thanks, Peel. But I think that's a really cool thing about, you know, these kinds of movies. And that's great because, again, you know, we oftentimes will see, we'll see the killer or we'll see the monster too soon into the movie. And it just doesn't seem like the excitement's there or right. the impact. Right. That's why I loved King Kong the original so much because... It only took him about a half an hour or so just to introduce the monster because they didn't show it right away. But the impact of it, they were waiting on. Because mm-hmm. that was getting the, the crowd to be like excited and irk over it. When they finally see it in its, you know, amazing entrance, everyone's like, holy shit. Mm-hmm. Especially for the effects back then. Like, it was, you know, really good stop motion, too. So I can see how everyone would be really super scared as fuck back then. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the camouflage concept of the creature? Like how it was disguising itself as a cloud the entire time. Which I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, like I thought they, that was interesting as hell. Yeah, because clouds, you can't really... You can hide behind a cloud, like and especially in there, and like, you know, you can hide into it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just kind of cool that he was smart enough to actually could do that and think, oh, yeah. I can hide behind this. Well, not only behind a cloud, he or camouflaged... inside of it. Well, yeah, because not only does the cloud not move at all, 
but it sits at a top of the mountain that overlooks the entire valley of their ranch which is perfect because it's like i'm gonna be watching these yeah it's perfect for him to hide at yeah yeah. Because especially as a cloud, like nobody's gonna be standing there looking up at the clouds for like hours at a time yeah. and being like staring at that thing. He's just waiting for the right moment to swoop down and suck up a horse and fly away. Mm-hmm. What are you looking at, honey? I was looking at the one in the end title card as an homage to John Landis's movie. Wait, what? Say that. Hold on. Wait, where where are you seeing that? <sighs> right here, genius. Okay, the end title card is an homage to movies directed by John Landis that started the National Lampoon's Animal House, where the card refers to the events that happened in the film. For Landis, it was, Visit Universal Studios, Asked for Babs. So I remember exactly what this is talking about. So when you... when Okay... Unless you're a Marvel fan and you are the only people who sit in the theater. Oh, we sat towards the end of the movie and we did see that. When we were walking down the stairs to leave the theater, a calling card had came up or a title card had came up. Yeah. And it had like the Jupiter's Claim like design on it. But, you know, it says now at Universal Studios, Jupiter's Claim and blah, blah, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, it is an actual like park. In Universal Studios that you can go and visit, like I mentioned before. Is that what they did with Animal but House too back in the day? I, th- I th- they probably did. I don't remember, huh. unless unless National Lampoons was produced by or distributed by Universal. Yes, it was actually. Then there you go. That, <laughs> that just concludes the whole. Well, you don't have to be a jerk about it, but okay. I'm just saying. All right. Well, I think we covered everything for the most part, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I mean, aside from the fact that, like, another interesting thing. So, the Haywood siblings, Emerald and OJ, stands for Otis Jr. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. They wear orange and green throughout the movie sometimes. Like, there's there's parts of it where you can see them wearing, like, Emerald's wearing green, because Emerald's a shade of green. Mm -hmm. And OJ, which also stands for orange juice, he wears orange. Yes, I get it. I don't know. I just thought that was cool. I'm a weirdo. I like colors. <laughs> <laughs> well, you like purple. You don't really like anything else besides purple, but yeah. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. But I think we covered everything that we needed to say about Nope. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to touch on or... No, not with? really. No, not really. Okay. I, I do want to... For the most part. I do want to spitball some ideas, though, for next week's episode. Because you and I just watched the Chucky show, finally, on Peacock for the first time last week. Yeah. And I looked back on all of our episodes, and I realized that we haven't done a Child's Play franchise discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, we have done a remake debate about Child's Play and the, what was it, 2019 remake? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we're, we'll definitely touch base on it again when we do this one but i feel like this is probably going to be a three-parter series oh of child's play franchise you have to be those guys i would love to be those guys if you love child's play and you love the chucky show then i would definitely tune into the next yeah. what three Whoa, weeks we we'll talk about it when we get to that moment colin but until then fine this has been an episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, nope. <laughs>